0: I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. I'll be honest; I'm starting a little bit frazzled right now because I just looked down to turn on the microphone, and I don't know how long it's been on. So, <laughs> apparently, it got turned on while we were singing that last song. But thankfully, you all were singing out, so that's uh, that's good to good to have as uh, assurance for me. But it's uh, good as always to see everyone out this morning. If you're visiting with us, we, we are delighted that you're here. ask that you come back anytime you're able. Um, but for those that are usually here, the members, we're just, again, always glad to be able to spend time together. As a family in Christ and and as those with like faith and a like mind to do what God wants us to do. To to do as Christ would have us to do. And incidentally that really is, is the main thought that we're going to be looking at this morning. As we look at this brief little story, little parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 6 at the very end of the chapter. Luke chapter 6 in verse 46 Very familiar passage, but the question he asks before he gets into this illustration, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do not do the things that I say. A lot of times when you look at the disposition of Jesus, and when you look at just his character, and his emotions, and how he responds, Jesus is not emotionless. Jesus sometimes gets angry. I would say righteously indignant. There are moments where Jesus shows concern and sorrow for his people. Uh, you even see, as we've looked at how Jesus feeds the thousands on a couple of occasions. Uh, I, I like the way Mark puts it because it's, you see the compassion of Jesus. He's very compassionate for these people. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. That's how they act. And so, all throughout the gospel and all throughout Christ's life, what we find is it are beautiful moments where you see how Jesus has emotions like me and you. Of course, the difference is he deals with them perfectly. In this moment, it seems that he's just rather incredulous. You, you see how he asks this question Why? Why do you call me Lord but don't do what I say? I think that's a question that we need to ask more often to others. Be more frank with people when we ask it and maybe be more honest with ourselves in asking that question. I never want to come to a portion of scripture and say, you know, just write it off immediately because, well, of course I'm already doing this. It's other people that need to focus on that. Others do need to focus on that. But guess what? I do just as much. I need to make sure that when God asks a question, and this is God manifesting in the flesh, Jesus. When God asks a question, I want to make sure that I answer it Honestly. And with an open heart and open mind. And so this morning, this is the main question we want to ask as well. Jesus asking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? And so as we continue with that thought, continuing with what Jesus was saying here, you have that question at the very beginning Uh, uh, of of our passage this morning, and then he goes into a a short, very brief illustration. And again, I think it's one that most Christians know and are very familiar with, but I want to, as we read throughout the rest of this chapter, and it's just a few verses. I I say the rest of the chapter. It really is just a handful of verses here. But note the description of each man as we go throughout this reading. And because I think what we're going to see is there's a lot of similarities between the two that I think are important, and there's a lot of um, very... Critical distinctions between the two. So just try to note those as we continue on looking at verses 47 through 49 as he is kind of answering this question. In verse 47 it says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I'll show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not Acted accordingly, is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great no doubt you can find some similarities and contrasts between the two individuals and I want to spend most of our time this morning looking at the, those similarities and contrasts because I do think that they teach us much so as we look at what those are I want to start with the commonalities For one thing, each man built a house. For one thing, each man wanted to have uh, this kind of living. They invested a great deal. They each expended much effort to build a house to live in. And they each did this so that way they could enjoy the fruits of of, of building their own house, of, of being able to have this kind of life, having a stable life maybe. But not only that, each man experienced the torrent and flood. They experience the same catastrophe. Now, again, we're going to get into the contrast in just a moment. And maybe you can find more similarities here. But but here, I think, is an important um, comparison to make. Because as we get to the application, I think that there's something that Jesus is trying to say about there's a lot of people that are going to be doing similar things. But just because they're doing similar things does not mean that they are doing my will. And we'll get more to that in just a moment. So just keep that in mind. Because here are are a few, what I would say, pretty heavy commonalities between the two. But now, what are the differences? First of all, one of the main differences is the foundation upon which each man built their house. You have the one that Jesus says is wise. And why was he? Because he laid a foundation on a rock. Why is that important? Because if you lay the foundation on sinking sand, what inevitably is going to happen? And you're really not even going to be that confident in the stability of that house and the integrity of it, even without the flood and torrent. And so from the very beginning, what they have is the foundation, one built on an unshakable rock while the other built on sinking sand. The other built on an unstable foundation, one that can't be trusted, one that can't be, excuse me, one that can't, that, that they could not put their confidence in fully. Now, Not only is the foundation a main contrast, but so is the outcome. And I think that's probably one of the main differences that we need to take from this. Because on one hand, you have the man who lays his foundation on the rock. The one who is wise, his house remains steadfast. It remains unshaken even though the torrent and the flood came. On, on the other hand, the one that was unwise, that did not dig deep, and that did not put his foundation on an unshakable rock, what happens? Well, the torrent immediately consumes it. And I like the, the way that it's described here, immediate. There was, no real, there was no real strength that it had within itself. It wasn't just barely holding on, but all of a sudden it went down. It's immediate. And I think Jesus is trying to, to convince us of something here. While one was not strong enough to withstand, the other immediately falls and fails. And I will just add to that, one of the main similarities that I don't have on the screen is that each man is going to, to, to deal with that same torrent regardless of being wise or foolish. It doesn't matter what kind of man you are, the torrent is going to come. So with all that being said, what is the parable illustrating here? What is the main thing? Well, it goes back to what we started with in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them. That's the kind of man that we want to be. Because there are going to be people that hear the word, but don't do what he says. So what is the point as we continue thinking about this this illustration here that Jesus gives to to talk about uh, verse 46? Well, first of all, in both cases, as you see in verses 47 and 49, the person, wise and foolish, heard the word. That's important because what we find over and over again throughout all of the Bible, but especially the New Testament, is that God says all creation is going to hear. There's not going to be one person that gets to use as an excuse and say, I didn't have any chance. I never had an opportunity. That's just not true. Everyone will hear. Everyone has heard the word. And therefore, there's a responsibility that they have once you hear that word, once you hear the gospel message and see what it has uh, in store for you. And so each man did hear the word, but they responded differently. And there's a lot to say about the difference in their response. Too often, I think people confuse hearing and acknowledging with obedience. And it's just not the same. You can hear and acknowledge something. You can have just a mere mental assent of facts, and it means nothing. Go over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 in verse 19. James chapter 2 in verse 19. James making this this very point as he's talking about the kind of faith that God actually rewards, the kind of faith that God says he must have from his servants. It says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Hey, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder, but you are But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? What is he talking about? He's talking about two different groups of people that agree on the same fact. Yes, I believe that God exists. Perfect. What good does that do the demon? Because he's still burning in hell. What is the difference? On one hand, you have someone who just says, yes, I believe that this is true. On the other hand, you have someone that says, I hear, I've heard that, I believe that it's true, and I'm going to act on that. It's not going to be a dead faith. It's not going to be an inactive faith. It's going to be real faith, loyalty, and fealty to the king. You know, I think that we talk about this kind of passage a lot, but I think that this sounds like the kind of person who is presented the gospel message, they hear the kind of changes that are going to need to be made in their lives, regardless of how big or small it's going to be, and and that person, after hearing this message, says, I, I know God wants me to abandon this sinful environment, but... And J.R. always makes fun of me because he says, you know, every time I talk to you, there's always a but in your sentence. And it just erases everything that we've talked about. Because a lot of times I'll be calling him for advice, calling him for wisdom and, and, and just his experiences. And, and so we'll be talking about that. And I say, yes, but what about this? He's like, oh, why, why does there always have to be a but with you? I think that's a lot of the, I, I really think that that happens a lot of the time when we talk to people about the gospel. Yes, but, but what about my family members? Yes, but what about the people that I may hurt doing this? I mean, maybe there is a time and place for those conversations. But when you're talking about having true faith, there is no room for Jesus. I would do this. But don't we have a few examples of that? Like in Luke chapter nine, at the very end of the chapter, there are three different people that that either come to Jesus and say they want to follow him or he invites unto his, his, his disciples. And every single one of them have an excuse What are they saying? Jesus, I want to do this. I want to be active, and I want to do the things you say. But, and that but always eliminates everything that we just said. Those individuals believed that Jesus was the Christ. I think they did, but they weren't willing to act on it. Those individuals, I think, were probably pretty confident, just like Peter, in fact. But even he would have struggles every now and then with acting on that faith. And so what do, what does that knowledge help if we're not willing to utilize it and use it? It doesn't help anything. Just like James says, the demons believe that God exists. And if you're going to have dead words, if you're going to be someone that doesn't act on that faith, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, guess what? You're no better. You're going to be no uh, uh, n- have a no better situation than the demons because you act the same. In James chapter 1 in verse 22, it says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I love the way he says that because obviously we need to have an active faith, but what he says is you need to prove yourself. And when you prove yourself, that doesn't mean you're just gonna be doing one thing, then you're done. You're proving yourself. You are constantly, daily, persistently proving yourself, doing the things that would prove yourself to be a servant. And so we almost prove ourselves in this Same way, which necessitates appropriate action. Regardless of the situation, the gospel gives us instructions and we need to make the right application. Now, continuing on, I would just add to that, both heard, they responded differently. Note that both men wanted the same thing. As we looked at some of those commonalities, they each wanted to build a house and they each wanted to have that same kind of living, but only one was rightly going to be able to have it and only one was going to be able to maintain it. And really reap the reward. The reason I think this is important is because I think one of the main points that that we can take from this is that there are many in the world today who I think want the reward and the benefits of being uh, a Christian without the preparation and without the work to attain those benefits and those rewards. God promises something beautiful to all those who are faithful to him. A heavenly home when this life is done. But there are people, I think, that, that really, they, they want to be able to have the reward without doing, really making those deep applications that we were just talking about. Really having a true active faith. The second man, the unwise man, the foolish man, he built his house just like the first, but he, he could have looked the same. When you look at the finished product, it could have been identical on the outside. It could have been identical maybe a little bit on the inside. Maybe it looked the exact same. Maybe they looked just as strong. And it looked like both were equally uh, uh, able to withstand the storm. But even if it looked that way, that's not the case. Because even if it did look like it was very well built and and it was well thought out, it wasn't. And because it wasn't structured the proper way and it wasn't on the right foundation... The foolish man, he didn't get to reap those same rewards. Because he it was it didn't have that same strength and integrity. He wasn't using the same blueprint. He wasn't, he he didn't have the same stability, and ultimately the outcome, it's not going to be the same because of that. Now, I think we need to make application when it comes to this illustration, because I think this describes a lot of self-proclaimed Christians. Even, I would say, members of the church, because there are a lot of self-proclaimed Christians that are just not. But I think that that there are many today who want merely the title of being a disciple, but without the following aspect of being a disciple. You you see this all the time on social media. Someone will say in their bio or something like that, well, Christian first and everything else later. And they they love the title. But then you see the things that they share and the things that they share are things that God has ultimately and, and obviously clearly condemned. I mean, that's someone that, loves the title, and loves to be considered a Christian, but that's not somebody that loves doing what God has told them to do and and loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This is one of my favorite verses. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That, that's a person, Paul, who doesn't just care about the title. He wants to be considered a Christian, but he doesn't just desire that and desire nothing else that God has said. He wants to be considered a Christian, but before God's eyes, not just before man's. But a lot of people are li- are really do that today. They just like ha- being called a Christian. They just like being called a disciple, but they never bear any fruit that shows they are one. But there are also people who just want, kind of along the same lines, instead of just being called the disciple, they want the recognition. They like the idea of being looked at by others, kind of like the Pharisees, as holy. They like being looked at as maybe different. I think that's one of the main temptations is we, j- we really just want to look different. And so we become a Christian, or we say we're a Christian. And so we like the notion of being looked at as holy, of being looked at as pure, looked at as different, looked at as a good man, but without doing anything. Anything that would actually bring that kind of purity that God says will make you different and will make you an eyesore to of some. They love the idea of having that kind of attention from man, but they don't do anything that gives them the purity that receives God's recognition. Turn over to Matthew chapter twenty-three. Matthew chapter twenty-three, in verse twenty-five. Matthew twenty-three in verse twenty-five. This is with. It's within a big list of of rebukes that Jesus has against the scribes and Pharisees. But look at what it says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. What I love about These teachings, when Jesus gives them, is that a lot of times people will look at this, especially when it comes to the Pharisees, and say, look, he said that everything they did just needs to be completely eliminated. And that's not what he says. What he says is, you know what? You need to continue cleaning the outside of the cup, but it means nothing if you're not cleaning the inside of the cup first and foremost. He doesn't say you shouldn't be worried about cleaning yourself or being clean. He says, if you're so worried about it, do it right. That's what he seems to always do with the Pharisees. You, you know, you strain and, 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 you know, you do all of these things. You tithe and you give offerings. And people will look at a verse like that and say, so what he's saying is the offerings don't matter. The tithes don't matter. Jesus didn't say that. He said, do these things without neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Have it balanced. But a lot of people are like the Pharisees today. Instead of actually doing everything that God has said to make sure that they are recognized by God and not just man, Uh, let's continue on in the reading first before we even get to that. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This this always makes me laugh because it makes me think when Paige and I went house shopping, it was a nightmare. And for a lot of reasons. And one of them being, you know, we had to drive from, from Mississippi to here, and that was, that, was a hard, that was a hard drive. But after all of that time spent, you get to a place that looks beautiful on the pictures, but what they have is what Paige likes to call the landlord special, which is they just paint everything white, <laughs> and they paint over all the imperfections. And you know what happens? The imperfections are just white. <laughs> you, can, you can still see all of it, and it's very obvious, and it's just right in front of you. And I remember one time we walked into one of the houses, and we were just like immediately, well, this isn't it. Let's just go. And you want to know why? Because it's very clearly not. These people did not care enough to put any real work into this place. And I think it's the same with the Pharisees. Like whitewashed tombs. They, they just, they, all they do is merely put things on and make things very apparent and visible. They just become a spectacle. That's all they do to the outside. And they pray loudly in the streets so that people can hear them. But on the inside, there's nothing, nothing of consequence. But they think that the public attention is what's going to get God's attention. And that's what Jesus said, that's not gonna be the case. If you wanna receive God's recognition, you need to do the things that make you pure that make you holy as he is holy. People want the security of being a Christian without doing what the Lord has said will secure their salvation. We love that, that promise that God gives that we can have salvation and we will be with him for an eternity. But what we don't like, or what most people don't like, is what God says you have to do to get to that point. You can have assurance. You can have confidence. A Christian shouldn't live in fear that they're not going to, that, that, that they're just not going to be able to get into heaven. We should have more confidence. The problem is, and I think that this is one of the main issues, even with members within the church that have that fear, maybe they have that fear because they know that there's something that they are specifically overlooking. Maybe somewhat like the Pharisees, but not just like the Pharisees. People do this all the time and so we need to be careful that we are not just hearing the word but that we are acting and doing what God has given us to do so that way we can reap that reward. Because as you look at these two individuals, when it comes to a relationship with God, I think Jesus just makes clear it's just going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be one person that says, Lord, Lord, and they're going to mean it. Because there is true servant, and there's going to be a second person that says, Lord, Lord, and it's going to mean nothing, because there's nothing behind it. There was never any relationship building during the lifetime that would get them to a point where they could say, Lord, Lord, with confidence. So there's two men. You have either the liar and the fool, or the wise and obedient man. And so as we end the lesson, I want to ask that question, which are you? Which am I? Am I the wise man, or am I the fool? Am I the fool who thinks he can have the prize without the work? And what I mean by that is a man who says he wants to be a Christian but won't heed Jesus' instruction. And we kind of touched on this as we've gone throughout the lesson. But you, but you have sometimes people who, will, who you'll be talking to or maybe they're just coming to services and they're thinking about you know how to, how to be more faithful to God. But as you have these conversations with them, there's someone who reads the scriptures but, but refused to let go of certain beliefs that they had before being converted. What they're trying to do is not do repentance, which is cutting off, turning away from sins. These are people that want to bring things into the kingdom of God that God says you never were allowed to bring that in. And in fact, if you try to bring that in, you're not actually a part of the kingdom. And sometimes people do this. Maybe you have someone who who maybe just is, is learning for the first time the gospel, but they have family members that they know just are are way off on their beliefs, that just don't believe anything remotely close to what Jesus has taught. And so what they want to bring into the church is uh, some form of ecumenicalism, which is just universalist. It's someone who says everyone's going to be saved. Well, that's something that they're trying to bring in. That's That's someone who thinks that you can have the prize without the work, and that's just not going to cut it. Or someone who refuses to be baptized scripturally because, you know, he was i was immersed a long time ago and that should be enough but were you were you baptized for the right reasons that's the question see this is the man who wants the house but he's unwilling to attain it properly and what's going to end up is the torrent is going to come and in the long run ultimately the outcome is going to be judgment it's going to fall and immediately or maybe you, are are we the fool who thinks that god will overlook things because you know He's doing other, admittedly godly things, but he's not doing everything that God has him to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew 7 and verse 21. This, I, think I, I think this is kind of a parallel to, to what we have in Luke chapter 6, just parallels of, of the Sermon on the Mount here. But in Matthew 7 and verse 21, before he gets to the same story, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What I love about this passage is it doesn't say that God is going to say, no, you didn't. You didn't do those things. It almost seems like maybe they did even perform miracles. But even with all of that, what did they not do? His will. You can do many holy and good things. You can do many things that God says that we need to be active in. But if you are not willing to be active in all that he says, you cannot say that you are his faithful servant. You cannot say that I have done what God has required of me. Because what you've done is just picked and choose what you wanted. Not what God wants. And so the question is not just have I done things that God has asked, but have I have I done what God has asked? And when you ask that to someone who's been picking and choosing, they can't say yes. Because that requires the full picture. That requires our whole life, not just a few things. So that's, that's the kind of person who thinks that they can do some work, but not really everything. They think that they can, they, they, they think that they can maybe attend every service. But they just, they can't control their tongue and they really don't work on it that much. They won't stop cursing. They won't stop drinking. They won't stop going out to sinful environments. But you know what? I do attend every service. That Christian is like the man who built the house, the fool who built his house. And it may look good on the outside, but it's flimsy on the inside. And it is doomed to fall. It's failure. Or maybe... We're acting like the fool who thinks that he can have a reward that lasts without using God's blueprint. We just looked in Matthew chapter 7. I love how he says he brings God's will into this. Because anybody can just do godly things and good works. The question is, once again, are they doing his will? So you look at someone who says, well, you know, I'm partaking in uh, worship here and I'm doing what God says. I'm giving to the contribution. I'm, I'm contributing to the Lord's work. Well, that is indeed a good work. But is it a good work to then say, so now that we've done this good work, let's just go ahead and try to do as much as we can. Let's, let's, let's build a fellowship hall. You know what? I'm doing this good work. Let's use this good work. And let's buy, you know, some kind of, uh, let, let's buy tickets so that we can make a raffle to bring people in and to bring more money in. Is, is that a good work? Well, you know what? The contribution was a good work. But you can't just connect that and say, that means anything that we use that money for. Well, that's holy. And that's what God wants. That's someone who doesn't care about God's blueprint. That's someone who doesn't care about God's pattern. And so we must be active, but not just in anything. We need to be active in his will. Not partially, fully. And so are we going to be the fool who builds a flimsy house that is doomed to fall? Or are we going to be the wise man who, in contrast, digs deep? And that means he's doing the hard work. That means that he is not just wanting to build something very quickly so he can have the reward as quick as possible, but he's building it correctly, using the pattern, using the blueprint, God's blueprint. And not just just going for immediate results, but sound results. I'll tell you, that's one thing that I keep stressing as we go through this eldership series, is we don't want to build a flimsy house. You know how you do that, just going for immediate results, not caring about the pattern. It's tempting, but it's dangerous because it's going to create a failure. And so it's someone who digs deep and does the hard work and not just goes for immediate gratification. It's someone who focuses on God's pattern. It's someone who prepares for the flood and the torrent before it comes. And that means that that is a person who is constantly rejecting sin, who is constantly fighting against temptation, who is constantly refuting false doctrine and preparing themselves for when it comes their way, not just waiting, utterly defenseless. But this is someone who's done the work. Have you done the work? Have we been doing the work? Or have we been acting like the fool building a flimsy house that is doomed to fail? We need to ask ourselves the question, which one am I? Am I the wise man who hears and does? Or am I the fool who hears and does not act accordingly? Are you a Christian that, that has noticed that maybe, of course you've heard the word, but maybe you have been acting accordingly recently or maybe for a while? You can make that correction. We have the blueprint. We have the pattern before us. It's not vague. It's not unclear. In fact, it's quite easy to gain access to. It's just a matter of are you willing to hear and act? Are you willing to be faithful in that and make the proper applications? If you're not a Christian, you're building a house that is going to fall. And the judgment will be swift, immediate, and severe. You don't want to build that house. You don't want to be in that house when it falls because I can promise you, it will. Do you want to have that house that will be stable, that has integrity? Do you want to have that reward that you can reap? God has made a promise. Are you willing to hear and do what He says? Be faithful in the things that He says. Repent of that which He says to do away with. Make a confession based on that belief and be baptized into His death to rise in newness of life. And that means to live a resurrected life. Are you willing to do all that? You can be in a house that is unshakable, God's house. And what a glorious blessing that is to be able to say, I am of his household. If you're a subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward. Let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.